Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Right now, I'm sitting down with author Ivy Green here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Ivy, thank you for being here with me tonight. Oh, I'm glad to be here and glad for you to have me. I'm glad that you're here. You've written a new book. It's called Sonny's Adventures with Wally the Catfish. Can you tell me about it? Yes. It's about a little Sheltie puppy dog. He lives on a lake, and he has a friend that comes and sees him in the summertime. And this summer, while him and his little friend, Little Duke, were playing on the dock, they discover this big old fish that keeps swimming around and wanting their attention. So they become friends. The Little Duke gives the catfish a name, Wally. And it was a, it's a big catfish. And in the story, it's about a fisherman on the lake, and he sees this big catfish. It's a trophy-sized catfish. So he's like, mm-hmm, I'm going to go and get that catfish tonight. So whenever Sonny and Little Duke go in and get ready for bed, the fisherman's out there fishing, and he catches Wally. Well, Sonny has the magic of being able to hear animals of all kinds, and he can hear Wally calling for help. But Grandpa won't let him out. So he goes and goes into Little Duke's room and wakes him up, and gets him to let him out. So little Duke does. He gets up and goes out with him. While then they see their fisherman is called the Wally. So they start hollering, and Sonny starts barking and growling, and Grandpa comes out. And so Sonny goes into the water, and he bites the line in half and saves Wally and brings him back, and Grandpa takes the hook out of his mouth, and Wally is saved. So that's <laughs> that's about what the book's about, and it's about friendship. And at the end, uh, everything works out good. The fisherman goes away, never comes back there again. And Grandma and Grandpa tells Little Duke that what he did was right but wrong because he was never to go outside after dark by himself. And then then he says he'll never do that again. And so there's a little bit of learning there. Hmm. Where did the idea for this story come from? Well, I wrote this book back in 1996. And I tried to get it published back then, but I uh, went to a couple of publishers and they wouldn't publish it. So I've had these books. I wrote a lot of them. Come from, my head. I have a grandson and he, his nickname Little Duke back then. And I live on the lake and I had actually a Sheltie named Sunny that was such a smart dog. I, I could not believe the dog could be that smart. Mm. And I couldn't get my grandson to listen to any books at night when I tried to read him a book when he'd come and stay with us. So I said, okay, well, I'll just sit down and write you some storybooks. Maybe then you'll listen. Hmm. Well, I wrote him a bunch of storybooks, and he actually liked them, and he did listen to them. And that's what got me going. Wow, that's great. What ages of readers did you have in mind for these? Well, anywhere from whenever you start reading to your children, I first born, I guess, up until... I don't know, nine, from zero to nine. Yeah, well, more than that, I guess every age, because I think it's a story that even an older kid would like to enjoy reading it to a younger kid, not just a mom or dad, but, you know, a babysitters or, you know, it, it, so it's no age. It's for everyone. 
Now, the illustrations are such an important part of children's books. But what was that process like for you, getting the illustrations to line up with what your vision is for this story? Oh, it, it was my first experience. So it was a hair-pulling-out experience. <laughs> but we got through it, and I'm happy. Now, you've said you've been writing, and you have quite a few books already written. Are you continuing to write, or are you continuing to produce new stuff? Yes. I sure am. I've got a novel, not by this publisher, but I have a novel coming out from another publisher. And then I have brand new material on another storybook for children besides Sunny's Adventures. The name of this book is Sunny's Adventures with Wally the Catfish. It's written by Ivy Green, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you shop for your reading material, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Ivy, thanks again for stopping on the show. I had a really nice time learning about Sonny's adventures with Wally the Catfish and just a really nice time chatting with you. Well, thank you very much. Author Jason Malott asks some truly fascinating questions in his new book, Adam is God, Eve is Us, Strange Stories About Aliens, Angels, and the Love of God from the Book of Genesis. Jason is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Jason, thank you for being here tonight. Well, thank you, Corey, for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. I am excited to hear about this book, Adam is God, Eve is Us. Can you tell me about it? Yeah. So basically, I know the cover's a little confusing, and that's, that's on purpose. <laughs> it's supposed to grab your attention. Basically, the book that I wrote was telling the love story from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, and going through the entire Bible, culminating with Christ and his bride in the end. And just showing that from the very beginning, you see this love story of God pursuing us like a lover pursuing his love. And so I put this book together, a little artistic, a little scholarly, a little, uh, a little bit of everything. And hopefully it has a little appeal to everybody that wants to read it. Hmm. Where did the inspiration to write this come from? Well, a few years ago, I was, um, I'm really into studying. I love research. I love digging into uh, cultures and languages and understanding things. And I was really studying uh, the book of Genesis and particularly some of the strange things. I found that a lot of people, especially a lot of the mainstream, you know, they try to stay away from the, uh, what I call the more messy, nasty topics, you know, the ones that are a little more uh, difficult to deal with, the weird stories, the strange things. And just kind of ignore them, push them aside. And, and I wanted to pursue those things. I wanted to look into the weird, the strange. I wanted to, to be able to see it. And in the process of doing that, it totally changed my view on God and totally changed my view on the Bible and opened my eyes to some things that I wish I would have known when I became a Christian 26 years ago. Hmm. You know, all of us at one time who have become Christians can understand it's a struggle because you feel that you need to do all of these things for this amazing, wonderful gift that you've been given. But actually being able to step back and say, wait a second, God was the one that gave me this gift. He is the lover. He is the one that's pursuing me. Hmm. He's in love with me. And I was thinking of the story of Adam and Eve and, and really considering the concept of, you know, Eve is eating this fruit. Adam's standing right there. And the Bible's clear. It says, you know, Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. And I'm like, you know, this is a really interesting story. There has to be something else to it. And then at the end of the scripture that I just quoted in Second Timothy, and I talk about this in my book, it says, but I'm talking to you about a mystery, which is Christ and the church. And this is something bigger. It's not just a story of Adam and Eve. This is a, a love story that all through different cultures, all through different religions, you even see it. You know, uh, especially in the, you know, in the book of Genesis, you had a lot of other different cultures that were interacting with the people in these stories. Mm. And you see those reflections, those shadows of God and all of these other cultures. And 
knowing the type of people that were living in that time, knowing the way they looked at God and understanding those things, it just opens your eyes to a lot of things in the Bible and just it makes it a lot more interesting. Wow. Is this the first time you, you've written or have you done this thing before? No, I, this is the first book I've written. I've been involved in teaching, study, you know, preaching. The Bible has been part of my life since 1996. Hmm. And when I say part of my life, it's been a very big part of my life. I fell in love with the Bible right away. It's one of those books that every time I go back to it, I find something new. And I, I never have ever had a book in my life that I can do that mm -hmm. for 26 years over and over again. And so falling in love with the Bible, it just really taught me to be a scholar and to really dig in and to really try to, I wanted to understand, you know, when John, you know, was writing in John 10, where Jesus says, words, and I'm like, whoa, what? And I want to know, what is he talking about? Oh, he's, he's quoting a scripture from Psalms 82 about the divine counsel. You know, there's these things you start digging into and you start learning these things and you see all these connections and it just, I don't know, it becomes, it becomes like not, you know, people use the word hobby. I mean, because I don't want to call reading the Bible a hobby, but you know, when it comes to the things that I enjoy to do on my spare time, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to seem kind of boring, but I love digging into the, some of this stuff, especially the weird things. Hmm. I encourage our listeners to check this book out. Truly fascinating. It's called Adam is God, Eve is Us. Strange stories about aliens, angels, and the love of God from the book of Genesis. Of course, written by Jason Malott and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get it everywhere that you buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Jason, thanks again for joining me. I had a great time learning about Adam is God, Eve is Us, and can't wait to see what comes out next from you. Great. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me today. Here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm speaking with author Mark C. Russell. Mark, thank you for joining me today. Yes, sir. You've got a new book out. It's called A Classified Look at the Great Satan of America, Top Secret Government Persecution. Can you tell me about it? Yes, sir. My book, A Classified Look at the Great Satan of America, Top Secret Government Persecution, is a true government account among many unnoticed accounts portraying pervasive lawlessness in an even worldwide satanic system. Jesus told the truth and they killed him for it. As such, I'm also trying to tell the truth. The following gives reference to government unconstitutional slash illegal surveillance, stalking, and trespassing on myself in a highly classified government environment ever since my first day of employment and to date. They are trying to make me out as part of the satanic organization by any and all means. I want this to stop now, finally. As of now, I'm waiting for some physical force ailment again on me by the government because they will try to force me back into the government system by unbearable pain. Virtuously, the government is living in my home. George Floyd is the tip of the iceberg. My concern is also worldwide systemic. I was once employed by the Department Defense Contract Audit Agency, the unclassified sector in 1987 through 1989, also held as being highly classified, the highly classified sector in 1986 to 87 within the Department of Defense. I dealt with the auditing highly classified naval contracts in Maryland. I worked two to three years for the government and then released from work because I felt the government was illegally harassing, also illegally following me, tapping my phone, surveillancing and stalking me in and out of the workplace. I got into trouble with the law in order to expose the government of their illegal activities in court. 
I did not have the lawyer funds to fight the government in a civil case. I had the FBI contact me on several occasions, whereby on one occasion they rudely came to my residence during dinner and accused me of wanting to kill Congressman LaFalce. I've also had the U.S. Marshal's office rudely visit my residence, drilling me with questions. I've also had the Naval Investigative Service come to my residence and drill me with questions. I know the government still illegally surveillance me, stalking me, and harassing me. They are, by possible physical and or financial means, trying to force me back to work for them for several reasons. Satan is running a worldwide system, either by conquest or consent, which is kept highly secret. You may even die accordingly. Satan is an accuser, deceiver, and a liar. Satan is a father of lies. He will do anything to further his mission. At one point in time, a car passed me on the road with a bumper sticker that promoted Satan. While working for the highly classified government organization, co-workers told me if I did not conform to the system, the contractor would buy my car. This is plainly life-threatening. Also, James Personal Resources Classified DCA, just before I moved from Maryland to New York, James told me that if I continued to seek litigation or the press or TV, I would get a broken leg. I asked him what he meant by that, and he said just that. You've heard about the criminal Abu Ghraib Iraq prison scandal. What about Hadapa, Iraq, the criminal cover-up of 24 innocent deaths, including young children and mothers? What about Guantanamo Bay? Our government is violating international law. Secrecy revolves around submarines not in and in violation of international waters across foreign seas. Government employees in this highly classified environment are subject to illegal surveillance at all times and places. In other words, employees are being illegally stalked. What does this mean? Illegal surveillance is by law a felony. Our government are felons. The government may accuse me of being delusional or schizophrenic. If so, you will have to also have to conclude Jesus Christ as such as well. Much of Jesus Christ, he basically said the same as myself. Everything I write is backed up by facts and or actual statistics. As I was leaving my government post, my boss told me before by my leaving that if I work for the government, the federal government employment mandates that you must first renounce any belief system you may have. To me, the right to believe is a basic right. And to finally close with the government, I quote a, a, a Bible passage, Matthew, Matthew 23:33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? The name of the book is A Classified Look at the Great Satan of America. Top Secret Government Persecution. It's written by Mark C. Russell and published by Fulton Books. You can find this everywhere you shop for books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Mark, thanks again for joining me on the show. It was nice learning about your book. Yeah, thank you for having me on your show. I'm sitting down here right now with author Roussel Thomas Jr. at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Roussel, thank you for being here with me tonight. God bless you. Thank you for taking the time to have me. Well, it's exciting to have you here. You've got a new book out. It's called Always a Servant, Never a Slave. Can you tell me about this? Yes. The title of that book, uh, Always a Servant, Never a Slave, really uh, reflects uh, the required spirit, the attitude, the heart, the mindset, and, and the demonstrated faithfulness that an individual must possess while functioning as a willing servant of God. And so in spite of our circumstances or places we might find ourselves, when we're in a capacity where we're serving God, we have to look at that bigger picture, not fo focus so much on the circumstances, but on our assignment and our calling in that particular situation. 
Did you have a certain group of readers in mind when you wrote it? Actually, you know, I'm looking at folks who are servants in any capacity, whether you're serving God or whether they are public servants in roles as mayors or police who are servants out in the community, really trying to have those individuals focus on their calling, their assignment, and trying to ensure that they take on that spirit of a servant uh, when they're out performing their duties or their uh, responsibilities. Hmm. Can you think back to where the idea or the inspiration for it came from? For this particular book itself, God actually, I was driving along on a road on my way home from a, a, a local Walmart store one day in 2013, and God dropped that title for this book, Always a Servant, Never a Slave in My Spirit. And I was driving, I sort of saw a vision, and it's like I was looking at a replay, a video replay of all of the places where I served and been throughout my military career, as well as my childhood before. And all of the places that I've been, in, and I started to see the faces of all the people that I had an opportunity to serve or to help in my capacities through those periods of, of years. And at the end of the seeing that, God said to me, he said, see, I've given you millions of opportunities. And he told me that all of these opportunities that I had had were actually portals, like windows or doors that brought me into a person's life, into a person's situation where I was used to be a blessing to them or to assist them. And so I knew at some point I was going to have to write the book, but I didn't know when or under what circumstances he would have me to start to write the book. And then in 2016, as a member of my church and one of the ministers there, and I function in the office of an evangelist, and there's six evangelists in our ministry. And we all did this one joint sermon where each one of us had a particular part of the sermon to do. We all had the same topic. We went away. We prepared separately for it. And we all came together on the evening of it and did the ministry. And we didn't even know the order or the sequence that we would be presenting in. And there was no collaboration, but God arranged it so everybody's presentation was given at the right time in the right sequence. So it all was one big sermon. But when I, when I preached that message, I knew then that it was time for me to start to actually sit down and write this book. Mm. When it comes to writing and publishing, have you ever done anything like this before? Actually, my initial intent for writing began in 2002. I was deployed after 9-11. Uh, I was over in the Southwest Asian Theater of Operation doing the uh, Air War Operation Enduring Freedom. And I began to write. And at that time, I was writing not for the purpose of being a published author. Even though I knew I would publish what I was writing, I was writing it to be a gift to my mother. Hmm. And I wanted to give her a published book as a personal gift from me to her at my military retirement ceremony, which was going to be coming up about two and a half or three years from that point. And that was my only motivation for writing was to give her that book as a gift. And ironically, she passed about a year before I retired. And so I lost motivation for writing that particular book. But in writing this one, I got the revelation and God showed me how he only used my mom to get me interested in writing because he wanted me writing. He wanted me on that writing platform for writing books to the body of Christ or to believers, to people in general. I only initially saw it as an opportunity to write something just for my mother, but that was never his, his intent. It was always to write for the world at large. The name of Roussel's book is Always a Servant, Never a Slave. 
of course written by Roussel Thomas Jr., and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you pick up your reading material, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Roussel, thank you again for coming by the show. I had a really nice time learning about your book and a nice time chatting with you. God bless you, Corby. Appreciate it. I'd like to welcome author Peter Caffrey to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Peter, thank you for joining me tonight. Oh, thank you very much, Corey. Appreciate it. You've released a new book. It's called Bless Me, Father, For I Have Sinned, A Memoir of Healing. Uh, what's this book all about? Well, there's definitely some background there. When I was in my young teens, I was abused by a Catholic priest. And I faced about the last 10 years, I've had about at least one or two appointments a week with a therapist. And as a result of the therapy, I started writing this book. It all started with really just the first lines, line of the book, first sentence. And so what I took from memories and different stories I've heard and actual things with the particular priest and wove that into kind of a novel form, but it's got some, some reality behind it, certainly. Hmm. So it was, I will say, it was extremely therapeutic to write. It made a huge difference in my life. Hmm. Did you have a certain target group of readers in mind? You know, when I was first writing it, a couple of relatives of mine read it, and then they knew people who had been abused, and they gave them some of the chapters, and they found it very healing for them. So I think it's something that people who have faced things like this, abuse from, from any source, might find something for themselves. There are various chapters that deal with different subjects, but along in a storyline. And I think they'll, they may find some things that help them. You know, and it, maybe it's in the same vein that it helped me to write it. It will help people to read it, too. What does your writing background look like? Have you ever done anything like this before? No, I haven't, actually. It's kind of funny. I, I mostly just have written. I'm an engineer by training, and I've written technical papers. It's kind of kind of funny. This is my first time delving into uh, actual literature, I would say. Yeah, quite a different style than you're used to, I'm sure. What was the most challenging part of it for you? Really, I think the, the most challenging part was at times, and anyone can see this when they go and, and read the book, there were times I had to go places that were very frightening for me. I had to go there in order to be able to write. Then I had to come back out. So you mentally go there, you emotionally go there, and then you have to find a way back out of that. And my wife, can, can she can confirm that when I had to go there, it, I, I, I kind of was a little different. And then I came, in coming back out, she could see the change. And I think in doing that at the same time, that was therapy too, being able to step into those spaces and then voluntarily be able to step back out. Have you given any thought to maybe writing more and publishing more books? I have. I have. Different ideas come into my mind. Right now, actually, I'm extremely busy with work right at this point, so it might be a little bit difficult, but I have various ideas in mind. Nothing that's solidified yet at this point, though. Can you tell me how you're feeling, maybe the things you were thinking, whenever you got that first copy of your book in your hands? Oh, <laughs> Well, it's kind of funny. It was a kind of a, two different feelings. It was in some ways a feeling of accomplishment, but at the same time, it was, oh no, I wrote a book. Oh my goodness. And there's a lot of me in it and, and people will be reading that and they'll know more about me, but I've gotten over that part. 
I think that whenever we create something, we wonder how it will be judged by society. But at this point, I'm, I just feel happy in being able to have written it, whether anybody reads it or not. So that's the, the main thing. Hmm. A lot of our listeners right now have a message that they want to release to the world. What advice could you give to these aspiring authors? Well, really, the easiest thing to do is just to start writing. Don't, don't be afraid of it. Don't hesitate. If you have something in mind, start going with it. Don't think that you can't. The thing that's going to stand in your way is yourself. All you have to do is start the process. If you run into a problem, you can give yourself the time to work through it. You're not in a rush here. Some people can write books in a very short time. Others can write take years to. So there's no time limit. There's nobody standing behind your back with a, with a watch. Allow that creativity to flow. Sometimes you'll feel, yes, I can write. Other times, oh, I can't do a thing here. And it's all okay. A lot of authors are avid readers. What kind of a reader are you? Oh, I, I read quite a bit. I'm, I used to read a lot of uh, fiction fantasy, but at this time in my life, I am an avid reader of history. Hmm. From American history to uh, European history, it's something that I, I just can't seem to get enough of. So I just, if you look at my, my shelves, I've got a lot of different history books of all different types. So I just really appreciate the uh, understanding of how people have related to each other in the past, what history does to create what we have now as, as we move forward. Hmm. Certainly some important things there. I encourage our listeners to check out this book. It's called Bless Me, Father, For I Have Sinned, A Memoir of Healing, written by Peter Caffrey and published by Fulton Books. You can find this everywhere that you shop for your books, like at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Peter, thank you again for joining me here tonight. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Well, thank you very much, Corey. I definitely appreciate it. Rebound, Return, Restore. It's the new book by Jeremiah Sinsheimer, and I'm speaking with Jeremiah here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Jeremiah, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me all about Rebound, Return, Restore? Yeah, um, it's a book about redemption, about second chances, but it, it takes it from a biblical perspective. And it's actually from the Old Testament book of Ruth. What I do in the book is I kind of take the backstory of two characters in, in the book of Ruth, Elimelech and Naomi, and the mistakes that they made and the loss they experienced in life. And, and then I kind of guide the readers through the book to show them that when Naomi made a decision to come back where she was supposed to be, she found mercy and a second chance and a second shot at life. Hmm. Can you think back to where the idea for this came from? Actually, yes. I'm actually a minister. So this was actually a sermon that turned into a book. Hmm. I just preached the sermon and then somebody came up to me afterward and said, you know, that, that's really good. I wish you could expound on that. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I should. Hmm. Would you say then that the general Christian audience is the ones who would get the most out of it? You know, to be honest with you, I think it's targeted towards anyone who feels like they've gone too far from God to help them. And although it could be targeted and it is targeted towards a Christian audience, you know, there's many even in the Christian world that have felt at times they've gone too far or made too many mistakes and lost their connection with God. And, and, and so this book is actually honestly for anyone struggling with the mistakes of their past. Hmm. And when it comes to publishing, have you done anything like this before? No. No, this is actually the first time for me. Hmm. Did it take you a long time to get in that format then? 
honestly, from the time I preached that sermon with the book material and to the time that I actually published, I would say the total time that passed was roughly about 10 years. And then towards the second half of that book, I, I finished the second half of the book writing it, the last five chapters, I finished that within a week. So it's a big deal getting your first published work out there. So how did you feel and what kinds of things were you thinking whenever you got the first copy in your hands? When I got the first copy of the book in my hands, I was pretty excited. I had some joy, some happiness, uh, but also expectations of the fact that lives could possibly be changed uh, for the better through the book. Mm. Have you given any thought to writing and publishing more? Actually, I'm in the process of writing and publishing another book, so it will be out here hopefully in the spring. I'm sure you learned a lot along the way of writing this, so what advice could you give to aspiring authors who are listening right now? My advice would be to pursue your writing, don't give up, and never think that uh, something that you've written may not be valuable or may not be worth publishing because uh, I had those thoughts myself. But after putting my manuscript in the hands of several people around me, they actually said that it was actually very good. So I would encourage any potential future author to just pursue your dream, pursue writing. Were there people in your life who knew that you were taking this book project on and could support you or give you some motivation along the way? Yes. My wife, Svetlana, has been my inspiration. She stood by me through the entire process of, of writing and producing a manuscript to publishing. So yeah, she's actually my biggest fan. I assume that the Bible is a pretty good part of your reading. Is there any other literature that you find yourself going to? Yeah, a lot of Christian literature, inspirational literature, mainly. Anything that has a positive outlook, anything that basically inspires the person, makes, makes somebody feel a lot better. Um, that's kind of literature that I, I like to read myself. And when you sit down to write, whether it's a sermon or whether something that's going into a book, and all of a sudden the words aren't coming, you hit writer's block, uh, how do you get out of it? I honestly take a break. I will actually close my, my laptop and I will take a break. I'll go grab a cup of coffee. I'll throw a football out in the yard with my sons. I'll do something to take my mind off of writing for the minute, that moment. And then usually after taking a break and relieving stress, the writer's block goes away and then I continue. One thing you mentioned there that is absolutely key to the writing lifestyle, and that is coffee. So great advice yes, there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called Rebound, Return, Restore. It's written by Jeremiah Sinsheimer, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this everywhere that you shop for your reading material, like at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Jeremiah, thank you again for joining me on the show here tonight. I had a really nice time talking with you. Thank you very much for having me. Martin Terrell tells his story of victory in the face of injustice in his new book, You're Only Innocent Once, and Once is Not Enough. Martin is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Martin, thank you for being here tonight with me. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks again, Corey. You've written a lot about your life in your new book, You're Only Innocent Once, and Once is Not Enough. Can you tell us all about it? Well, I, I came to this book because I've, I've been in some criminal situations, so I'm not like a lamb come to slaughter, and, and I admit that in the book. But because I've had some criminal experiences, when I was caught and hadn't done anything, it, it made me realize that, hey, 
I'm innocent this time, and why am I being treated like I'm not innocent? I found out that it made no difference because I had a record and I was black. Mm -hmm. It made no difference that I was truly innocent. And that's what made me want to write this book. Did you have a certain group of readers in mind when you wrote this? Yes, there's more than one group. The people who are like myself, they know how true this is. But I've had some people right here where I live, they were astounded. Uh, this this middle-class people, this kind of thing goes on. That's one group. But my daughter works, she's a congressperson, and that's one group that I felt uh, who can do something about this. I, I wanted them to, to see what the actual situation is. And the general population, they sometimes think about people who have made mistakes and they place them in a category and leave them there. Mm. Also, people who are in the educational field, I want them to see that, hey, if someone can work with these guys and they aren't in chair manufacturing or making mattresses, real education can give them an opportunity to come into society and become a real contributor. And those are the markets that I wanted to see this book. Mm. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing and publishing? Sure. Almost immediately before this, I had written another book. It was called Without a Compass. It was a coming-of-age novel, actually. Mm. I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. My mother died when I was 12, and I had four sisters and a brother. I was the oldest. And this book that I currently wrote is kind of a follow-up to that. In Cincinnati, I was born in 46. There was a lot going on in my neighborhood. People were poor. Many of them, the ones that did work, were in construction and, and other things. They weren't making a lot of money. And the kids, they didn't have many role models. And so a lot of them went into drugs and other things, and, and I fell into that same trap until my mother died. And my sisters and I were sent to a foster home. And while we were in the foster home, we were in another neighborhood. And during that time, we took intelligence tests. And I, fortunately, got a very good score and was sent to a school. It was a college prep school and did pretty good. And from then on, through, throughout the rest of, actually, the rest of my life, I had an opportunity to excel academically. Uh, even in prison, I excelled. So that part of me, that's what the early part showed that I had an opportunity academically to excel, but socially, I didn't take advantage of that. And that's what was in Without a Compass that showed in my development why later on I became a criminal. Hmm. And so that's why I wrote Without a Compass. I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called You're Only Innocent Once, and Once is Not Enough. It's written by Martin Terrell, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can find this everywhere that you shop for your books, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Martin, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had a nice time talking with you. Oh, it's, it's been my pleasure, and I hope that your readers get the book. Particularly, there are two things I'd like them to remember, that there are people who make mistakes, and that education it is truly the key to freedom. Remember that. I'd like to welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable, author Patricia Edwards-Burton. Patricia, thank you for joining me again. You're welcome, Corey. 
You have a new book out. It's called Loving in Spite of Coming to Terms with What is Revealed. So can you tell me all about this? Well, this is like a sequel from the first book that I wrote, How I Overcame Abuse, My Struggle to Become Whole After Molestation and Rape. I thought about after getting married and how my marriage had challenges as a result of my past experience. I thought I'd put this book together to help others who had challenges and questions that would arise and, to, you know, dealing with relationship and to help them move forward in it. Hmm. How long were you working on this one? About maybe three months. Was there anything significantly different this time around from your previous book as far as writing it, going through the publishing process, all of that? Well, as far as writing it, this was an easier book to write in that the experience was different and marriage was more or less a happy one. So, you know, it wasn't as a struggle to write. Mm. Uh, when you sit down to write, uh, you feel inspired, but the words aren't coming out. Do you ever hit writer's block and then what do you do about it? I do get writer's block and when I get it, I put the book aside and give it some time and then I try again. Can you name a person or maybe several people in your life that you can say have been inspirational or motivational to you along the way of writing your books? Yes, my husband and my children. My husband is very supportive. He was the one, as a matter of fact, that told me in the beginning of writing, um, you need to put your story on, on paper, you know, because I'd often shared with him what I'd gone through. And he would say to me, you're not over it yet. And after I put the first book on paper, I noticed that I was like a new person. Mm. So I said, oh, this was a cathartic for me. So I continued writing. As a matter of fact, my cousin, she said, you got to write another one and you got to write another <laughs> one. So <laughs> I took her advice and I kept writing. And um, my children are very encouraging and inspirational. And, you know, they keep me going. Now, after all the hard work and all the time that goes into writing a book, what are you feeling when you get that first copy in your hands? You feel a sense of accomplishment because writing can be healing depending on the um, content. If it's healing for you and you have that finished copy in your hand and something has transpired as a result of you putting your work on paper, you feel a sense of gratification or, you know, a sense of, you know, resolve in that, you know, I've gone over another milestone. Hmm. Now, you've written a story that obviously has involved a lot of pain and a lot of things in your life that were hard to deal with. So what would you tell authors who also want to get their story out, but it's so painful, it's so personal that they're, they're afraid to approach it? What encouragement could you offer them? I would say write. Write your story. And you don't know, as when you pick up that pen, you do not know where you're going to end up as a result of writing your story because there's healing on the other side. Words are powerful. Mm -hmm. And when you can put the, your words on paper and read back what you're writing and your, your tears are flowing as you're writing, you're being healed in the process. Whatever you went through or whatever struggle or pain that was caused as a result of um, your story, you can get past that by putting it on paper. So I would encourage anyone and everyone to write, write your story and, and see where the Almighty takes you. Well, I encourage everybody to check this book out. It's called Loving in Spite of, Coming to Terms with What is Revealed. It's written by Patricia Edwards Burton and is published by Christian Faith Publishing.
You can find this everywhere that you shop for your reading material, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Patricia, it was wonderful having you on the show again. I had a great time talking with you. Thank you for being here with me again. Thank you, Corey, and you take care. I'd like to welcome author Harold L. Schmidt to the Reader House Author Roundtable tonight. Harold, thank you for joining me. Uh, you're very welcome. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. You've just released a new book. It's called The Etching. Can you tell us what this is all about? Yeah, it's about an Olympic figure skater named Shay Gerard, who's about to compete in the Olympic Games, sort of follow her dream, when she finds out that her estranged father has been arrested in China for attending an illegal house church. And it turns out to be a political firestorm because he's arrested in Beijing, which is where the Olympics will occur. And that puts her in the conundrum of trying to decide to just ignore him because she hasn't had a relationship for him for seven year, with him for seven years or to use her platform to help free him. So it becomes sort of a real conundrum for her and also a faith journey because neither her father nor her had much interest in faith at all. And suddenly she finds out that her father is distributing or is at a house church in Beijing. So uh, it's really about her journey to try and decide should she pursue this Olympic dream? And if she does, how does she use her talent and skill to try and have her father released from prison? Hmm. Where did the inspiration for this story come from? Actually, it came from just an image. I, I have written a series of musicals and plays. I started out really as a playwright. I've written plays and musicals. And even with those, I sort of wake up with either you know music in my head or an image. And there was an image that I, I don't want to let people know because it would give away the end of the book. It was just this image that captured me and then haunted me. Also, I was a figure skating coach for many years, so I know the ins and outs of the figure skating world. So those two things put together really drove me to write the book. Hmm. Did this take you a long time to write and then get published? It took about a year to write. I tend to work on two or three projects at the same time. Like I said, I do work on screenplays, musicals, plays. I, sort of one of those, unlike a lot of writers who I think are really get focused on one project, I'm usually working on multiple projects at a time. So it took me about a year to write the book, about eight months to have it come out. Did you have a certain group of readers in mind whenever you wrote this? I did. I think it's targeted really to a young adult audience, but I think people that are interested in figure skating or the sports world, because I, I have a little bit of insider information about how that world works, I think they would find it interesting. And it has some other, I think, what I would call interesting facts about what it feels like to go through a faith journey, because I went through one myself. So I've had a lot of adult readers read it, and they've given me some great feedback. So I thought it would just be for a young adult audience, but I've had a lot of adults read it who said, you know, they really enjoyed the book. Hmm. Have you given any thought to continuing and maybe writing more books in this vein? Actually, I have another book coming out in three or four months. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, a book called Harpy Mendelssohn, which is more of a contemporary novel about a pastor who looks back to the 60s where he grew up, where he met a boy named Harpy Mendelssohn, a Jewish boy in a wheelchair who he mistook for his hero, Jerry Mahoney, the ventriloquist dummy. So it really talks about how we each come to God in our own way and speaks to tolerance and you know love for each other and friendship. So I'm anxious for that to come out as well. When you get writer's block, what do you do about it? I tend to move around to because I work on several different projects. I, I don't sit with something that's not working. I'll go to another project, a play, a, you know, music screenplay. And that tends to open me up. Like I'll, I'll work on those scenes and all of a sudden something will come to me. I think it's very tough to force, at least for me, ideas to come. I'm not one of those people who can make that happen. 
The other thing that happens with me is for some reason I wake up with things. Um, there was two musicals I wrote literally where the music was almost done when I woke up and just went to my computer and wrote it. So uh, it's a strange process, but that's how it works for me. You're certainly no stranger to writing. You're quite the veteran, in fact. So what advice could you give to aspiring authors who are listening right now? I think just be persistent. I think one of the things that a lot of people do, everybody thinks they have a novel, and I think a lot of people really do, but it takes a lot of sweat equity. I mean, you really have to be, I've written every morning, virtually every morning for most of my life. I mean, I get up every day, I write a couple of hours a day. I think you have to keep at it. It's not the type of thing, at least for me, that you can be sporadic at. And I think people get discouraged too easily. So if you've got an idea that excites you, that stays with you, I think that's that's the thing. I mean, the etching, Harpy Mendelssohn, the musicals and plays I've done, they were those ideas that just the characters wouldn't let me go or they wouldn't let me sleep. It was an idea that it pushed itself. So when you get that idea that you just can't let go of, I think the creative process lets you release that. And so that's that would be my advice. Like When you get a good idea or you feel like you're passionate about an idea and it won't let you go, that's the one to sit down and write about. Well, I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called The Etching. It's written by Harold L. Schmidt and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you shop for your books at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Harold, thank you again for joining me. I had a really nice time learning about the etching and a great time chatting with you. Thanks. I appreciate it and enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you. No one is exempt from the blues, and author Michael Peavy knows that better than perhaps anyone else. In fact, he's written a book about it. It's called From Blues to Good News. I'm really happy that Michael is sitting down here with me now. Michael, thanks for joining me tonight. Oh, it's great, and good morning to you, everyone. Can you tell me all about your book, From Blues to Good News? Oh, Blues is Good News is really has been a life autobiography of myself. Everyone goes through so many different things. We have so many different experiences, some pros, some cons, some up, some down. The thing about the blues is that it does not care what your political status is. It does not care what your color is or your, your, your height, your weight, or anything of that nature. You're, it is something that will get a hold of you and get a hold of everybody. So everyone experiences those stages. And uh, being able to pull yourself out of a state of depression or, or pull yourself out of a state of melancholia uh, is something that is so important. So the good news is that there is hope. Hmm. Did you have a certain group of readers in mind when you wrote this? As I think about it, it, it it's, it's really something that should be in every child's hand today. As I look at the generation and how things have changed in society from when I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, where it seemed like it took a village and everybody was, you know, everybody was everybody's parent. And now uh, where you sit back and uh, you look today and uh, you have a, a microwave generation where people are not really looking to retire or looking to live a long time. And so I would think that, you know, everyone should have this book, every school kid, every every individual, but definitely those that are, are experiencing difficult times, those that feel like second-class citizens, those that feel like that no one cares, want them to know that there there is a God that loves you and that will carry you through. Mm. Michael, can you think back to where you got the idea or the inspiration to sit down and write this book? That's a great question because, you know, I, I just over the years, being a musician, I've just always have doodled and have taken little notes and written little things about certain things that have happened, experiences, uh, people I've been around, groups I've been with, uh, et cetera. And so it just started that way, almost like a jigsaw puzzle. 
Uh, you know, you start piecing things together, then you start to see the continuity of what it is. I said, man, I, you know, I do have something that might be interesting to someone else. It's interesting to me, so let me just kind of put it together. Hmm. How long were you working on it? I would say this is 40 years. <laughs> wow. But it goes all the way back uh, to, you know, my baby picture is also in there, so that would be 56 years. When it comes to writing and publishing, have you ever done anything like this before? I have not. I've published two CDs. I put out two CDs uh, music-wise. This is my first published book. Congratulations on getting your first book on store shelves. It is such a huge accomplishment. What was the most challenging part of things for you? Closing it out. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure out where to, where to stop, what not to put in. Uh, man, there's just so many things that happen to you over your life that are so interesting and that can you know help other people. Uh, even though you may think that you know it's tragic to you, it can be a, you know God has brought you through it. It could be a benefit to someone else. Hmm. Michael, after all that hard work, after all those years that went into this, how did you feel? What were you thinking when you got that first copy in your hands? Oh, now that's, <laughs> it, it was a swelling effect. Um, when I finally got the finished copy in my hand, not of what, you know, I, I have been doodling on the computer and et cetera, but to actually have a full book in front with cover and et cetera, it's an emotional thing. But I definitely am overjoyed. My guardian who started me playing saxophone, you know, dead and gone uh, in 1985. And so all those feelings come back and you start to think about those things. And you want to just thank everybody that you've been a part of your life and just, uh, and just be grateful. It's a very humbling experience. Michael, thank you for using what you've been through to inspire others. The name of the book is From Blues to Good News, written by Michael Peavy. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you shop for your reading material at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick and mortar stores. Well, Michael, thank you for joining me here again tonight. I had a really nice time learning about from blues to good news and just a good time chatting with you. Thank you so much, Corey. I really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.